Good morning, church. How y'all doing? <laughs> Good to see you. So glad to have you in the house of the Lord. It's just me up here today, uh, which is kind of scary. Uh, it's nice to have folks behind you because if there's a mistake made uh, this morning, there's only one person to blame. <laughs> so we'll see how we do. But again, so glad to see you. We're going to sing Waymaker because God is a way maker. It made me think of this verse here in Isaiah 43. You can turn to it if you have your Bible, but Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget the former things. Somebody say forget. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness. He's a way maker, amen? And streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I have formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. That's what we're going to do this morning, proclaim his praise. If that's what you came to do, would you stand with me? We're going to lift up our God. Wait, 
Shake somebody's hand, say good morning to one another. A little hug if you need it. Good morning. And if you can find yourself a seat, that would be great. I just have a couple of announcements for us. Go ahead and find a seat. And good morning and welcome to Maple Valley Church. Welcome everyone watching at home, online, to President's Day weekend and the beginning of midwinter break. And we see a lot of our friends aren't here. And Rob, it's just you and me here today, huh? Yeah. Up on stage. How about that? But we brought, we're classing up the joint. We have Pastor Frank returning. Let's go with Pastor Frank. We'll lead us in prayer. But uh, uh, David Miles is in Disneyland. Sarah's at our brother's church. Cami Wright is in Vegas. And we're in Maple Valley. Uh, this is a family service, and so all the kids are welcome to be in here because we don't have Kid Venture, and hopefully you got one of the, the fun activity bags. This is the best kind of bag. Oh, my goodness. So many good things in here, right, kids? Right? Did you guys get one? Yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, an announcement that I was looking forward to making. Starting March 6th, uh, we have Kid Venture at 9 a.m. Praise the Lord. That means all the volunteers are covered. Thank you so much for volunteering. If you're at home and you volunteered uh, from March all the way through mid-June, we're going to have programming for zero to five-year-old at 9 a.m. And so that'll be a big relief for those that uh, kind of cram in at 1045 or families that stay at home at 9 a.m. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Also, the elders have, have elected yesterday, uh, starting on March 6th, masks will be optional for all ages on Sunday mornings. So that includes our, our kids and kid mentor parents. Uh, it will be your decision 
of how you feel so comfortable with your kids. And uh, we also had this past Wednesday night, uh, the final uh, Wednesday night officially of Joe Fennessy as director of our youth program. I know, oh, we love Joe, right? What's up with that? But right now he is up with his team leading a retreat with our students. He's speaking at RISE next week. He's preaching right here next month. So he's not going anywhere, but Lord's calling him uh, to new forms of, of ministry. I think he'll be filling a pulpit somewhere, someplace, someday, probably soon. That's a lot of announcements. I haven't even gotten to the ones that are printed yet, Rob. Okay, time's a waste. And here we go. Here's the big three announcements. Number one, ladies' night, bowling, March 4th. Ladies, sign up for a 7 p.m. March 4th fun evening of bowling. Uh, you can register online for that. Communion class, March 20th at 9 a.m. for third grade and up. So parents, grandparents, guardians, if your young person hasn't ever experienced uh, the amazing gift of the sacrament of Holy Communion coming to the Lord's table, They're, they have questions. They're not sure. You're not sure how to answer those questions about uh, this beautiful gift uh, that the Lord has given to us. Uh, sign up for this class, communion class, March 20th. Uh, at 9 a.m. And finally, it's time to prepare for summer camp. Can you believe it? Summer camp's almost right around the corner, just a few months away. Uh, best days of summer is August 1st to the 5th. Uh, sign up for that for more information. Or VBX, the experience of, of our own programs here, July 18th to 22nd. Registration starts March 1st. That's it. So hold that. All right. Was a lot of announcements. <laughs> was that the sermon? Actually, I think it's pretty good. Everybody happy to be in church this morning? Couple of you, couple of you. Just one time, I want to just hear what that would sound like as I envision it in my head. Is everyone happy to be in church this morning? That's what I'm talking about. I just got excited to be in church this morning. Wow. <laughs> well, praise God. We're going to continue wor worshiping. But before we do, I wanted to share one more scripture with you. I know it's Rob's sharing a lot of scripture this morning, but I was praying about this. And I get the question a lot of times about what is worship and how do we worship? And can I do this? Or can I put my hands in my pocket? Or can I just be quiet? Do I have to sing? And uh, what is worship? I started looking as far back as I could on worship and sacrifice and bringing a sacrifice before the Lord. And of course, I came across Genesis, all the way to Genesis with Cain and Abel. Everyone remember that story? And it says in Genesis 4, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought uh, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, as worship to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look on with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And we all know where all that ends up with Cain and Abel. But I thought, why was God happy and pleased with Abel's sacrifice? And why not so with Cain. They both brought something. There was no specification earlier. I looked earlier. Is there a specification? No, we don't want any vegetables. Maybe God was anti-vegan or something back then. 
He's like, no, we, we don't want any vegetables. No, he didn't say anything like that. So I'm looking, of course, many theologians say because it was a blood sacrifice. But really, the more I read into it, it was because of the condition of Cain's heart. He brought what he brought begrudgingly. And I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. I come into worship every single week. It's my job, my career. But I don't want to bring something begrudgingly before you. So I wanted to take a moment, if we could, this morning and just check our heart. Is everyone okay with that? Because we wake up and our heart's all over the place. Our feelings, our emotions, our will is all over the place every single morning when we wake up, right? So let's just take a moment, even if it's in silence, and just present ourselves wholly before the Lord once again. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I want to bring my whole self. We want to bring and place ourselves as living sacrifice, even as, as you have required us, Lord. We welcome you in this place to look upon our hearts, who we truly are, even those things that we don't want you to see, those places we don't want you to go. We want to surrender fresh and new, bring a sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving that's authentic and true to you this morning because you're worthy of it, Lord. You're worthy of it all. Just pray you calm by your spirit. We welcome you here today. Cleanse every heart. Give fresh vision where vision has been demolished. Give fresh hope where sadness lives and relationships renewed, Father God. We welcome you and invite your will and your way this morning. Amen. Would you stand one more time? We're going to continue in worshiping.
shall praise thy name and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in Guitar switch. Always a risk. of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving seeks, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. of God in helpless way, this gift of love and righteous place, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Christ in me from life's first cry 
to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever plug me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I say no power. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever until here in the power of Christ I'll stay here in the power of Christ I'll stay. seated everyone. Well good morning sisters and brothers, those of you who are here in the sanctuary and watching online. We're going to join together now to pray. Eternal God, our loving Heavenly Father, you are rich in mercy and you're lavish in your care of us. We lift up our voices in praise to you. What a great and mighty God we are, you are. And we think of the words of that song we just sang. You are the way to God, the truth in God, and the life in God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you have done, and for all that we are in you. We bless your name. And so, Lord, we, we want to lift up our voices, our hearts. As Rob said, our hearts are right before you. We want to lift up our voices in praise. Forbid it that all things are praising you, all creatures are praising you, people are praising you, and we withhold our voice. Loosen our tongues, widen our sophisticated throats, and give us the song of praise in our hearts. We bless you, our God. And so, Lord, we want to lift up today. Uh, It's President's Day weekend, and we want to think of the leaders of our nation Uh, We think of our president, we think of former presidents on uh, President's Day tomorrow. We thank you for this great republic, and we're praying that a wave of righteousness will sweep this, this land, a wave of unity, that things will be accomplished for the good of this nation. We lift our leaders to you. And we do think of those involved in the situation in Ukraine. I'm reminded of the scripture that says, there'll always be wars and rumors of wars. And yet Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So we pray in that situation between Russia and Ukraine and NATO. We pray for the peacemakers that evil will be kept back 
that reconciliation will occur. We're asking, Lord, that you will give the peacemakers, those who are involved in the negotiations, give them wisdom. And we do pray that war will be uh, kept back. That's our prayer. And Lord, today too, we want to lift up our church family to you. Uh, we thank you for the body of Christ in this place. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we, in our mind's eye, there are people who pass before us. We think of them, we know them, we love them, and they have special needs. And so we're praying, Lord, that you will reach out to them in a, in a special way. You will touch them with your grace and peace, with your healing, with your restoration. We do pray your hand will be upon them. We lift them up in the second of silence to you. Hear our prayer, Lord. We pray you'll draw near to them and touch them. And so we thank you now that we gather around your word, uh, this monumental book of Romans. You inspired your word, Spirit of God. You inspired the word. We pray that the Spirit of God will illuminate it now to our understanding. We'll see all that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we thank you for the opportunity to bring our tithes and offerings to you. Uh, they are yours. We are just stewards of what you have entrusted to us. So we bring our offerings to you, and we thank you that you always provide. So we bless your holy name, and as the people of God, we thank you for the opportunity to meet in worship. Yes, I know in my heart, and I pray it's in the hearts of all of us here, with the psalmist, we resonate with the words of the psalmist. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Here we are, Lord, we're yours. Do a work of special grace in our lives, we pray. Bless our pastor as he comes now. Amen. Well, good morning. So delighted to see all of you and see you watching at home. And uh, today is uh, a President's Day weekend celebration as a family service, which means the kids are with us in the house of the Lord. And don't worry, uh, moms and dads and grandparents, if they make a little noise, I am used to it. Uh, in fact, these past four years have been the, the quietest sanctuary I've ever preached in, uh, which is I remember the first time I said, are you listening? Everyone's like, we're listening. Because I was so used to people being distracted. Uh, when we were in Minnesota for nine years, and the babies, the children, uh, even our own, was making plenty of noise in church. And I just had to learn how to, to rise above it. So that's okay if kids are making a little noise. And then seven years in Maryland, I was used to preaching being a little interactive. Some shout-outs, some hallelujahs. And uh, occasionally some, help him, Lord. It's about his faith. And you're like, help him, Jesus. Um, but I was also kind of got used to when I ask a question that's meant to be rhetorical, which means you don't answer. I was used to it turning into a dialogue. So I do appreciate Maple Valley Church that you kind of let me have my half an hour of attention. And if you weren't here when we first began, if you're watching at home, I have a wonderful announcement to share that 
Our Kid Venture program has now expanded to the 9 a.m. hour as well as 1045 starting March 6th. So starting in March, uh, if you uh, parents with young ones want to come back to church in person and drop the children off to be cared for from zero to five, or some of you who've like, okay, we, we squeeze in at 1045, you can now have a choice between uh, both hours of worship. You ready? Let's return to Romans, the greatest letter ever written. Part one, uh, episode five. Paul's finished diagnosing the whole world-sized problem. No one is in good standing before God, all under a cloud. There's no excuses accepted, no escape possible. There's nothing that can be done. That bell cannot be unrung. And then Paul writes these words. Let's picking up in chapter 3, verses 21 and following. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There have never been two words put together that were more sweet. Think of two words more sweet than but now. Double cream. Somebody said mocha fudge in the first verse. So think of two words that would be more sweet than but now. But now, the good news. After these three hard sermons, these past three weeks, the, the bad news that is part of any kind of gospel presentation now, from here to, to the end of the book, good news. Good news, but not new news. The apostle writes that Moses and the prophets, all the writers of the Hebrew scriptures, they were pointing to this future happening. They were alluding to it. There was illustrations, insights, allegories, painting the picture, showing what was to come. All the ceremonial laws and the sacrifices, uh, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of, of Joseph being sold into slavery by his, his brothers and then being brought out of it, all of it pointing to the coming of Christ. Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant to come. But Moses is now in our very time through his son, Jesus Christ, a righteousness from God has come. Hallelujah. I want you to look at the text. So we're going to be looking at verses 21 to the end of the chapter. And underline or circle when you see the word righteousness or the righteousness of God. Dikaiosone. Uh, it means the righteousness of God is translated as right standing before the Lord. You've heard me say from time to time, it's being in right relationship with God. The word righteousness means approval or conforming to a virtuous standing. It's, it's living your life as you are designed to live, to love, to think, and to reason. All spelled out in detail in the Torah, in the law of God, but an unattainable a version of perfection that we are trying to seek as God's people. And Jesus says in the greatest sermon ever preached, on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, and he would say something like, don't murder, but I say to you, there's even a higher version. Don't even have a grudge against your brother. Don't call names. Spelled out in the law, the law of works. Now, he says, but now, 
a right way of being with God has been revealed apart from that law of works. Offered to both Jew and Gentile, as religious as a religious person can be, and the most irreligious of people, all are in need of this because all have missed the mark. From Adam and Eve on down, we are culpable of this sin, of missing the mark, of not meeting that virtuous high standard that God has laid out. But Paul said we've exchanged the, the glory of God, living the way we're designed to live. Dogs bark, fish swim, and human beings worship. We're designed to worship, to elevate, to look up to the creator, and yet we exchange that great glorious intellect and intent that we have as human beings being made in God's image. We've exchanged that for worshiping created things created things, formed things, or that reflection in the mirror, creatures instead of the creator. But now God has, it says, manifest or revealed the way to get right again, the way to get whole again. The world's not the way it's supposed to be. Paul's audience can say yes and amen. We agree with that, Paul. He says, this is how we get right with God, through faith in Jesus. You see, every religion, culture, worldview, or philosophy believes in some form or fashion that one earns your way to a higher plane, a higher purpose, to God, to whatever um, developed form you may have. You can look at it in any form of Culture, philosophy, or religion, it's a matter of your work, your effort, your striving, your grades, straining to be right, to be enlightened, to be elevated, to conform to some standard. Even if that standard is within, say, I, I reject all standards but my own standard. I'll walk to my own be, but you're still meeting a standard. It's my standard of morality a spiritual record that counts. And so the question hangs, but am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I worthy enough? Am I accepted enough? Because I can't say enough to myself. I don't have enough friends to say it to me without there being some doubt. But now, a new approach. God has transferred the perfect record of his son on to us who believe. There's no other place outside the gospel that speaks of such a gift, such a transcendence, such a renewing power, such a holistic being made fully of who we are meant to be as human beings, that longing within us, even if we can't articulate what it is, every song, every work of art, we're longing for something deeper in meaning. And here he says, the only place in the first place and the last, it is a gift, a gift of God's grace. Look at verses 24 and 25. We are justified by the grace as a what? Gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And there's a lot packed into those two verses, and we're going to unpack it as best I can for a few moments. This is the very heart of the gospel here. This is what transformed the church from Augustine to Luther to Calvin to Bart 
to all the greatest uh, evangelists of the world. This is the passage that I better get right here in these couple of minutes. No pressure. No pressure, Lord. First off, let's talk about the word gift. Think about the gifts that you've received. And how lasting are they? Think in your mind right now, and show of hands, you don't need to call it out, because we're not in Maryland, we're in Naval Valley, but raise your hand if you can remember the most precious gift you received this past Christmas. Quick. I see one hand. I, don't, I see one. I see the kids are raising their hands of the precious gifts they received. How quickly we forget the gifts that we receive. Is that this kind of gift? Yeah, we've heard it, but I don't quite remember it. Uh, someone found a ring in the parking lot. It has a little red ruby, and I can't tell. I think it's glass. Forgive me if it's not, if it's, if it's really a, like a beautiful Turkish uh, ruby uh, uh, worth a bazillion bucks, but I think that it's glass. But it meant something to someone, probably, uh, I assume, a young woman in our, in our youth program. It was found in the parking lot upstairs, up the hill. A gift can be lost, a gift that can be forgotten. A gift that can be given, and we're not sure exactly what it's worth. We had two families from our church. One family, uh, they found out on Christmas morning, the kids found out, hey, kids, guess what? We're going to Disneyland. And the kids, no reaction. Like, uh, okay. Uh, another family is right now in Disney World, and the kids went completely nuts. They completely lost it. And what was the difference? Talking to the parents, what's the difference? For these kids... I've never been to Disneyland. I don't know. Is, it, is that a good thing? For, for this family, oh, we know what Disney is, and Disney World's even better. A gift can be forgotten, can be lost, or can be simply a mystery because we don't know the value. Paul's going to unfold here the gift of what we have received. There are other key words here. I want you to look at just these two verses that I've Pointed out verses 24 and 25. Uh, they, they show up again and again. Now, in the original Greek, our English word justified, underline that if you're taking notes. Do you see the word justified? It has the same Greek uh, root word as righteousness, that word we already talked about, getting right with God, that virtuous high standard of being right with the Lord. Righteousness and justified are actually one and the same word in Greek, but we don't say righteousified, do we? Have you been righteousified? Or we say, we say justified. It means to be made right. It means to be in right relationship with God by sheer grace. And what does grace look like? How does Jesus explain it to us? He explains it to us with reason, with scripture, but also with story, something that would arrest our heart and our attention. What does he describe in Luke chapter 15 of things lost and found? A coin lost and found, sheep lost and found in great celebration. And then how does he wrap it up, this great celebration? A father whose son is lost out in a pig pen, thinking, why am I here in this pig pen when my father's servants are living it high on the hog, no pun intended? I know what I'll do. I'll come back. I'll say, I don't need any position, Father. I'll just work for you. Please just let me not be in this slob of a mess. Let me at least have a roof over my head. And so he cooks up a plan to come back. How does Jesus describe the story? 
the father is looking out and sees his son and runs to him. And before the son can finish his explanation, his excuse, the father takes none of that. He says, quick, a ring, sandals, a robe over his shoulders. And he says he kisses his son. And it's it's missed here in, in, in the Greek. It's missed because Jesus is speaking Aramaic. He's, he's from the Near East people. It's a different way of relating. They are close talkers. They are huggers. They are passionate people. The, the word translated there is he's kissing, and he keeps kissing his son, who still has the stench of a pig pen. And he brings his son in to a feast, and he says, let's slaughter the the lamb, let's have the biggest, best party ever, for this son of mine was lost and is now found. That's what it means to be justified. How is it possible that a gift from God of grace could be offered to everyone? Remember, the, the church in Rome is divided. You've got religious Jewish people, you've got non-religious Gentile people, there seems to be a, a class disparity, there seems to be status, there seems to be a measuring up, and they're probably hearing this thing, well, how is this offered to everyone? Is the, is the gift cheapened if everyone gets to go to Disneyland or Disney World? Isn't the gift cheapened? You get a car, and you get a car, you get a car. And how is it possible that there is no special qualifications No pre-qualified loan necessary. How does God do this? In theological terms, how does God declare sinners who deserve judgment, who are so far from him, who've fallen so far from the mark, how is it they're made right again? He gets us out of this mess with three analogies. All packed. I'm still on just these two verses, 24 and 25. These analogies flow out of Paul one after another, And they'll be unpacked more and more as we dig into the book of Romans. Number one, they are justified or righteousfied. He has here in mind the image of a judge declaring the guilty innocent. Not only a judge declaring the guilty innocent, but the judge then leaving the bench and saying, I myself will take the punishment to make you right again. He uses the analogy of being redeemed. And here it's a call back to Israel, enslaved to Egypt, the slave master Pharaoh as a, as a symbol that carries on sin being seen as a burden, a stain, a disease, and a slave master. But he says, the blood of the lamb marked on the door and the judgment will pass over the homes of the Hebrews and they will be rescued. They will be Redeemed, they will be purchased out of slavery. And finally, a third analogy of by putting forward in our place God's own Son. And the word there is as a propitiation. Propitiation means a sacrifice or an offering which turns away God's righteous wrath. The bell tolls not for thee but for Christ. The Son of God willingly went to the altar of the cross to be sacrificed for the world. This is how much God's glory is valued, that his own Son would sacrifice himself. The wrath that hung over our heads has fallen on another, on Christ Jesus. 
And now because of his sacrifice, there are no outstanding charges. There's no debt still pending, no sins unforgiven. Sinners, but now stand before God blameless with no burden, no guilt, no disease, with a new title of saints, daughters, sons, friends. Because now we have a new master. And we conform to the virtuous highest standards of God, not because we're trying to measure up, but because we're now empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our motivation is now out of love and loyalty, not out of fear of some reprisal. And we'll speak to this later of the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. And some of us are thinking, because I know Paul's thinking this when we get to chapter 7, but what if I screw up again? And he says, didn't that just happen five minutes ago or at least this morning? Or certainly by last night, we could all think of ways that we've not met this standard. Jesus is there by his spirit to guide us again, to clean us up, to forgive us, to set us aright. But why? Why did it happen? Why did it have to happen this way? Why, why did Christ have to go to the cross? Why wouldn't it be enough for God to open up the heavens and say, all's forgiven? Look at the next verse. We're coming to verses 25 and, and, and following. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that is his patience, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. More to unpack, more to unpack. The Lord our God did not ignore former sins or, or brush them aside. Paul says that part of God's holy character is his patience. Uh, parents, isn't that one of the greatest uh, characteristics that we need? We need to be renewed and being patient with our children. He says in his divine patience, he delayed judgment. We'll study in the series as it unfolds, especially into chapter 5, how Old Testament saints were saved by the future work of Christ. Now is the time. The wrath of God and the love of God have been manifest. They've been demonstrated. We're saying in Christ alone, and we'll sing it again. It became kind of controversial. It says it was based on this very passage. The wrath of God was satisfied. People said, I don't like the idea of that. But it is his justice that needed to be made right. But also, he's the justifier. His love needed to be shown. So God has not only given righteousness to sinners as a gift, but has done so in a totally righteous way, a way that demonstrates his own perfect standard by putting forth his son so that he might be just and justifier. What does that mean? You know, this past week, there's been a lot in the news about uh, the justice system. In fact, we could go back over the past two years of things that have happened in our courts, but just thinking of this past week, a judgment in Minneapolis, uh, the judge just looked heart-wrenched to have to speak these words after so many years serving on the bench in Minnesota. It seemed as though she had a, she had a, a no-win situation in passing uh, the judgment 
on a police officer uh, that had been convicted uh, in, in killing a, a person who was part of a traffic stop and was sentenced to two years. And the prosecutors uh, were unhappy with that, wanting more, and the family crying out for more justice. And the defense were saying they weren't happy with it either. And then all the news and all the news channels and all the hubbub of the response to this was justice properly served and meted out. The week before last, a, a prince, a prince from uh, the great empire of, of Britain, finally gave in to all the accusations and, and, and stopped uh, denying and settled out of court for an undisclosed amount of money with an accuser. It's all hush-hush. It's all uh, behind closed doors, right? Signed, signature, but can never be spoken of again. And we wonder, was justice served at that moment? Where is the justice? People cry out for justice who've been victims, who've been injured, who've been hurt deeply. And the Lord our God is a just God. And so justice needed to be meted out. But also he's a justifying God. He's a loving God to show such great love that he would in himself take on this great cost through his son. That can be known to you, to you watching at home, by faith. Four times Paul emphasizes how this gracious gift is received through faith. Verse 22, twice there, 25 and 26. Faith means giving someone your trust to give your loyalty, to depend on them, to rest your weight on them, to rely on them. This gracious gift of right standing before God is received simply by putting faith in Jesus. And I look around the room and I reflect on myself and think, I've been in church a long time. I know this message. I've heard this a thousand times. Imagine if you're hearing it for the first time. Paul concludes his sermon like any good preacher with a little application, look at verses 27 to 31. The application of what it means to have faith in Jesus rather than faith in your, uh, in whatever, anything else you fill in the blank. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? By that standard? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised of faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by, by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We unpack this for just a moment. We're going to be done. Remember, he's writing to a church that's divided, fearful, mistrusting, and deeply insecure. And these same characteristics have been evident in the church of all time. Paul hadn't even visited Rome yet, but he knew this to be true. It's human nature. It's our nature, and it's come up again and again, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. Pride, mistrust, Deep insecurity. A false gospel leads to pride, mistrust, and insecurity. A falsely placing one's hope, one's trust, one's ultimate allegiance into anything other than Christ 
leads to division, pride, mistrust, and insecurity. Why? Because insecurity is a feeling of inadequacy. I'm not good enough. It causes us either to wilt or to fight back. I, I am good enough by some standard. I am good enough. That's what insecurity creates. It produces anxiety about one's meaning in life, about one's goals, relationships, the ability to handle hard situations. We become insecure because we're not sure where our handholds are, what to hold on to. Do I trust my friend? Do I trust myself? Do I trust this cause? What is it that I hold on to? But faith in the gospel of Jesus leads to the opposite of these things. It leads to humility and love and quiet confidence. God doesn't respond to what we do and then reward or punish. No, our relationship with God is our response to what he has done. And so there's no room for pride, for boasting. And there's no need to be insecure, to feel inadequate, so you have to overcompensate. When someone says to you, I don't like you. Well, why? Because of whatever. Like, you don't have to be insecure. You could say, yeah, you know, that's an area that God's working on in my life. I started off as a sinner, condemned to hell. I'm making progress, thanks to the Lord. Do you have some, some insight for me? Can you give me some help? I, I would love to hear some, some criticism if it's constructive. That's what Paul knew was happening in the church in Rome. People were measuring themselves against some human-made standard. Dividing Jew, Gentile, religious, irreligious. Pointing out the way people lived, what they wore, what they thought, where they were from, their given name, their complexion, their accent, any number of the ways that we still today measure up and judge people he says, none of that. It's simply by putting faith in Jesus. Rightly seeing the righteousness of God as a gift of his grace. No more shame. No more insecurity. Free to live the right way by design. And so we sang, for every sin on him was laid here. In the death of Christ, I live and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its, its grip on me, the grip on us of, of sin, that, that measuring up, that constant comparison. It's lost its grip, that judgment. You're not good enough. You're a failure. You're nothing. It's lost. All that's gone. We just see Christ and what he has done for us. Mark 14, 35 to 36. The apostle Mark records these words. He says, going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if it possible, the hour might pass from him and said, quote, Abba, which is Aramaic for father, Abba, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What is your worst fear? What are you most afraid of? Losing your life? 
losing a loved one, losing your livelihood and position. Jesus faced the worst of fears in Gethsemane. He prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible with you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, but not my will, your will be done. This was the plan before the foundations of the world. He does this for us, for the glory set before him, the joy set before him, which is to rescue you and me and the world. That cup equaled Jesus's worst case scenario, being the recipient of all of that penalty, being separated from the Father. And what was his response? How did Jesus respond in that moment? He prayed. That ought to be our response too. When we're facing our fears, facing those things that we actually put our faith in, the things that have threatened we're most afraid of, that's a probably a good indication that that's really where you put your faith and trust it and hope in, not in Christ. I'd like us to name those fears in prayer. And then I'd like to ask us to do that together. I'll lead us in a time of prayer to name those fears, to give those before the Lord, as Jesus did as well, to thank God for his mercy and grace. We'll do that. And then finally, I want you to think of someone in your life that has not yet trusted Jesus. I want you to name that person in your heart before the Lord in prayer. And let's lift them up in prayer. Let's pray now together. So God, we want to name our fears. And so friends, I invite you to put your hands, if they're on your lap, put them palms down. It's as if you're dropping something. What is it you're putting your faith in, your trust in, your reliance? Just hand that over to the Lord. There's no amount of of measure, of, of acceleration, of promotion, of grades, that will ever fully satisfy and make us feel complete. We'll always be insecure. We'll always be touchy, aggrieved, offended easily. Victims, we're victims. We're all victims because we haven't gotten things our way. Let's let go of those things, things that we're afraid of. Let's give them over to our Lord. And then I invite you to put your hands palms up in an attitude of receiving. But when you turn to your loved one and you say, may I have some M&Ms, please? And they pour out something sweet into your hands. And you're receiving the sweetness of God's mercy again. We say, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. We put our hand out and someone puts something of great value in our hand. And then finally, lastly, I want you to raise your hand uh, with a finger up of some person that you want to pray for right now by name that doesn't yet know Jesus. I can remember revival meetings where the uh, preacher would say, every head bowed and eyes closed, raise your hand so we can see you, that you're ready to trust in Jesus. That's not what this prayer is today. This one is, who's that person in your life? Or maybe it's two fingers or three. It's a whole family. We say, Lord Jesus, please meet that dear person in this moment. Do what only you can do, Lord God. 
grab hold of them. They're going in the wrong direction. They don't have a helmet. They're lost. It's getting dark. Would you please bring them home? Bring them all the way home, safe and sound. Rob, come and sing. Let's continue to be prayerful. Can we stand and sing one more time? Let's, Jillian, if you don't mind, can you put us on uh, till on that cross? Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I there in the ground. Body lay, light of the world by die, the slave, then bursting forth in glorious day. Out from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final bread Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands Calls me home. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up. Till I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God all my life. All my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so goodness of God. I love your voice. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. 
I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness of God Yes, I have been so, so good, with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God, surely goodness is running, your goodness is running after, it's running after me, is running after it's running after me with my life laid down I'm surrendered now I give you everything your goodness your goodness is running after it's running now surely goodness and mercy your goodness is running after it's running after me is running after it's running after me with my life laid down I'm surrendered now I give you everything your goodness is running after running after me we don't have to look too far around to see the evidence of his goodness in our lives or forsaken us for bringing us a long, long way this morning. Because all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able the goodness of God, I will sing of the goodness of God. Well, sisters and brothers, today pastor has reminded us from this passage in Romans of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I've been walking that journey for many years but my heart always warms when the gospel is proclaimed. The goodness, the goodness of God. I think of that hymn, uh, Rock of Ages, Rock of Ages cleft for me. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what the, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. So to become a Christian, you have to do business with the cross. And if you've done that this morning and you want to know more about, or you want to know more about it, I'll be down the front here, be glad to talk with you and pray with you. Those of you who may be watching, you can contact us here at the church for more information. We'll be glad to send you some materials. Informa- info at maplevalleychurch.org. Just contact us and we'll get back to you. So go today and may be assured that the goodness of God is going with you.
May the blessings of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend and rest upon you now and always. Hallelujah and amen. Amen.